Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. So, will the Bears beat the Packers on Sunday? Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John's Glow. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Hello, us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Link is in the description of this video. Boy, does it feel good to be previewing NFL games again. I'll tell you, sometimes in those dog days of summer, I mean, I love baseball, don't get me wrong, but you miss the preview and then the post-reaction to all these Bears games. Over the years, it's been heated on this program for many reasons, whether it's the Mitch Trubinsky and Nick Foles era to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to Nick Foles and Justin Fields to Justin Fields and this team tanking. There's been so much reaction and so much passion brought to these preview and post videos, and you guys have shown out in abundance supporting them. So I just want to preface all this by saying it's good to be back. Bears-Packers this weekend. As of right now, the Bears are actually a minus-one favorite. So, I mean, it's pretty much even, but the Bears are a favorite entering this game, and I think it's just because there is so much unknown and so much that is unpredictable right now. Justin Fields and Jordan Love are going to be squaring off. We don't really know what Jordan Love is in for. We don't know how good Justin Fields is going to do, though, either with this new weaponry and this new offense and being in year two of the Luke Gantzi, Matt Eberflew system. Now, we do know the Bears are going to run the football a lot. The Packers last year had the worst run defense, one of the worst ones in the NFL. The Bears had one of the best run offenses in football. I think that's going to be a big key for the Bears. Regardless of the quarterback battle and worrying about Justin Fields throwing, I think more than anything, running the football is going to be the Bears' bread and butter this weekend. In case you didn't know, on the defensive line for the Packers, Rashawn Gary, who has had 23 sacks across 40 games in the last three years, is going to be on a pitch count. So he may not be in all the time, which will help Fields in terms of staying in the pocket, throwing the football, and the Bears' run game. Kenny Clark's going to be active, though. And, you know, they have a couple of other guys here, Preston Smith, Devontae Wyatt, uh, the Daryl Slayton. All of them are going to be active. So, the Packers have a good trench. They, they have a good defensive line, and I think that's something that's going to be worth monitoring. But Gary on a pitch count is going to be huge for the Bears because he's been a menace against this team and against the NFL this past couple of years. The Bears are going to have to find a way to push through the trenches with their depleted O-line that are going to have some injuries and some guys in different positions like Cody Whitehair. They're going to have to find a way to push through the lines and run the damn football. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Justin Fields, but the fact is, until the Packers prove it to me and prove it to everybody, their run defense was one of the worst in football. It's not like their defense or their team's gotten much better this offseason. It's been a lot of the same, and now they have a brand-new quarterback and, and a new opportunity. Could be good, could be bad. I think Jordan Love's going to be better than what people expect and what he's shown over these past couple of years and limited time, but 
I really don't think he's going to be MVP of the NFL and lead this team to a division win. (laughs) And you can't expect that out of him in his first full year in pads on the field. This is going to be key. Running the football is going to be key. And the quarterback battle is going to be fascinating to me. I really want to see Justin Fields. I I just, I want to see what he brings to the table and what he plans on doing. Weaponry here. Offense and scheme in his mind. Second year. What are the Bears going to do? How will they use the run game to their advantage in the sense of who's going to get the majority of the carries? I don't think it's going to be Roshan Johnson, although I'd love for it to be. Probably going to be a combination of Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman. How many times will Justin Fields run the football? How many design runs will be called versus how many times does Fields kind of scramble out of the pocket when he gets in trouble? These are all significant questions. And in years past, it's been interesting because usually we could kind of predict how things are going to go. Last year, I remember, we got this one dead right. Niners, Bears, Trey Lance starting, who I think is a bust. Trey Lance starting the game. Bad weather, sloppy conditions, Soldier Field. I said the Bears were going to win it. A lot of you said no, and they did win it. It was stunning, but it was so exciting. And I don't know if that meant that, oh, the Bears are going to end up going uh, 12-4, and and I thought they were going to be great. I mean, you know, it, it was what it was for that game. But at the end of the day, they ended up tanking and really falling off after that big win. I think this year, game one is not going to, similar to last year, like prove everything, but I think it's going to be important. And I'm excited to see how this one just plays out. And it's hard to predict how it's going to go. And I think that's the key thing from all of this. I'm not going to sit here like I did last year. I was pretty confident. I'm not confident in anything this year. I'm not confident in how Jordan Love's going to perform with the Packers and how the Packers are going to do in general. Not confident in even Justin Fields and how he's going to do. There's going to be rust shaken off from both QBs and both offenses and both defenses early on. So I'm not going to sit here definitively and say, hey, I know how this is going to go. I know the Bears are going to win or the the Packers are going to win. I really don't know. This is right down the middle. And even Vegas says the same thing. There is no clear-cut favorite. And there is no big-time difference maker that makes you say, yes, it's going to be them. No. This division's wide open, which we've said all summer. And that's kind of going to be put in full focus here in this game. This game from the outset shows why the division is wide open. There is not a clear front-running dominant team in this division. The Packers are no longer that. The Vikings have really never been that. The Lions are kind of the favorite, and then the Bears are there too. This whole thing's wide open, and this game proves it right now. And the perception surrounding this game proves everything's wide open, everything's on the table, and nobody knows what's going to happen. That's why the NFL is fun to watch, unlike the NBA where it's kind of predetermined day one, who's going to be in the finals, who's going to be in the playoffs. <laughs> But I think the big difference maker for the Bears specifically, if there's one part of their game that they should focus on and one part of the game that they could exploit Green Bay on, it has to be the run game. Has to be. You're going to have effectively four running backs active week one. You're going to have Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman. Roshan Johnson will be there. I don't know how many carries he's going to get, but he's going to be around. And then Justin Fields. You have four running backs week one 
facing off against the reigning worst run defense in football. That is going to be the number one key if the Bears want to take away a win here and steal a win away week one. All eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks. All eyes are going to be on the cool stuff and the fun stuff. I'm telling you right now, the run game is going to be the big number one difference maker for this team. If the Bears do what they're supposed to do running the football, they're going to be great. You know, we heard reports last week that the Bears will not run Justin Fields less. I would expect Fields to get a couple of opportunities to run the football, design runs, opportunities for him to burst through the trenches, gain 5, 10 yards, move the ball forward, move this team forward. Running the ball for him is going to be key too. We're going to do a bit of a separate video on this, but I did hear about and see that the Packers are planning to use the Mitch Trubisky strategy against Fields. Not going to work. It's going to be hard for the Packers to contain Fields. And this is not me blowing steam here. I mean, it's a fact that Justin Fields did run for 1,100 yards last year. (laughs) We can't forget what he did. It is not going to be easy for the Packers to put him in a box and limit him as a playmaker, as a quarterback. They have got to be all eyes on Fields all the time. Then on top of it, you have quality wide receivers for once. You have three running backs in the backfield are ready to go. If the Bears offensive line, which is a bit beat up, can hold up, I think the Bears could easily take this one away. It's anybody's game. That's why I promise you right now, depending on how the Bears lose and what happens, if they do lose, I'm going to be disappointed because there is no clear-cut favorite. This isn't a game where it's like, oh, man, the Bears are going to be steamrolled. No, the Bears could win this game. This is unbelievably winnable. So that's exciting. So they better not screw it up. It is winnable. It is doable. This isn't... Oh, boy, they're going to be bad this year. Oh, you know, they tanked all last season. They got the number one pick, blah, blah, blah. No, they spent money with getting the number one pick, and they're ready to go. It's time. The season's here. They know what they need to do. They know how they need to perform, and they know what's ahead of them. Plan's in place. I'm excited. Football's back. And their Bears team has a large task ahead of them to start off the year. This game's being hyped up because of the rivalry, and the Bears have never beaten the Packers in X amount of games. At the end of the day, this is different than past Bears-Packers matchups. Before you knew the Bears were facing Aaron Rodgers, yeah, they're going to lose. And that's sad to say as a Chicago media member and a Bears guy, but it's true. And I will say this, too, and this is pretty historic. When was the last time the Bears were even favored to win against Green Bay? When was the last time we all thought and had an idea that, hey, maybe the Bears could win this game? Or this is anybody's game? It's been years. We're talking about decades, even. Because there is a new quarterback and there is uncertainty. A lot of rookies, a lot of young people for the Packers that need developing. So the fact that we've been here goes to show that things have improved for the Bears significantly as far as situation and circumstance. Now the question is, will they take that next step? I don't know about you guys, 
I'm not satisfied with, wow, the Bears actually have a chance versus before they didn't. No, it should be, wow, the Bears are going to win this game. They're facing the Packers. I'm happy they have an opportunity, but hopefully later in the season when they face off again, it's, yeah, the Bears are easily going to win this game. It's been a long time since the Bears were just favored or known to beat Green Bay. It's always been, yep, that's going to be a loss. Go through your schedule prediction. Yep, they're going to lose two to Green Bay, and that's annoying after a while. That's annoying to hear for years and years and years. Yep, they're going to lose. All right, move on. No, not anymore. This is an even battle. And this, in my opinion, could be a nice way to start off the season. And this could be a season-defining win week one. And I know I don't want to say season-defining. Everyone's going to come after me. John, you're, you're overdramatic. But really, you come out week one, you beat the Packers right away with fields, trying to really get acclimated to this new offense. And, I mean, the storylines and the implications that come along with it would be huge. It is not unreasonable to say if the Bears do pull this off, and depending on how they win, how dominant they are, it is season-defining, and it could start a huge ball of momentum rolling in the right direction. There's a lot riding on this game. Every game's important. This one's very important. I like the Bears are 3-12 and 12, limping their way to the end of the season. New year, new opportunity, wide open division, and you got this game won against Green Bay. This is huge. And a lot has changed since the past couple of, what, 5-10 years. A lot has changed considering where this game is today and the expectations surrounding it. There are different expectations surrounding this game than in years past. This is not, okay, it's going to be a wash, Bears lose, who cares? No. This is going to be, hey, wide open. This could be a precursor to how the division shakes out. Bears have to come prepared. Both teams have to come prepared. So I'm very excited to see how it plays out. I'm going to go out on a limb here. We do score predictions every week on this program. And I'm going to go out on a limb and give the Bears the benefit of the doubt and say they're going to win. I expect them to win. Final score, to me, real tough one. I'm going to say 24-17 Bears win. That's my prediction, 24-17 Bears win. Heard it here. And we'll make sure we publicize it and get your predictions. You could comment them here or comment them on the community tab. 24-17. I don't think it's unrealistic. And that's why I'm going to be a bit disappointed if they lose Monday when we go live and talk about the game. But that's the point, isn't it? For once, it is an open level playing field. It's not, yes, they're going to lose. Let's move on. No. They have an opportunity week one to make a statement and take down Green Bay and show everybody who's boss in the NFC North. And proverbially show that this is their division now. Things are changing. It's different. They got to come through. They should win this game. In my opinion, there's no excuse. I don't care about the offensive line being battered. 
I don't care about all these excuses that people are going to make. We, we still hear people in Chicago sports media who have literal jobs doing this saying, I'm okay with six wins. Not kidding. That's been said on the radio as of this week, even. No. They should be expected to win this game. We're not going to shield for the Bears here. We're going to cover this accurately and fairly. And the fair fact is this team is not a six-win team. This team shouldn't be beaten down and being thought of as a six-win team because they're not. They're much better. They have the talent and they have the economic backing of Ryan Poles and company to be much better. They should be expected to win. You should expect them to win week one. And I hope they do. 24-17, you heard it here first. Bears are going to win this one. We're going to be with you on Monday evening live to recap it. Apparently, this needs to be said. And listen close. Justin Fields is not Mitch Trubisky. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John School. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Link is in the description. All of you know my love and my passion for Mitch Trubisky, mainly because he was run out of town unfairly. And I think at this point, if you don't see it, then you're never going to see it. But there was a viral quote that went pretty big in 2019 when the Packers were trying to defend Mitch Trubisky and beat the Bears. And they said, quote, that they can beat the Bears by making Mitch play quarterback. They have to make him play quarterback in order to win. And they won that game 10-3. to and it was an insult, kind of went viral. Everybody talked about it. And it's actually become, according to some out there, it's been coined the Mitch Trubisky strategy, which I think is just disparaging and really wrong to say. But nevertheless, there have been some reports, and I have this right here at sportsmockery.com, that the Packers may be using that strategy on Justin Fields, that they actually believe that they could win this game using, quote-unquote, the Mitch Trubisky strategy to beat Justin Fields. If that's their game plan, if that's what they're thinking about doing to to win this game on Sunday, they're going to be sorely mistaken. And this is not a knock on anybody. This is not meant to disparage Mitch or prop up Justin or vice versa. Let's just be real here, okay? Mitch Trubisky, as much as I love him, is never going to run for 1,000 yards in a season as a quarterback. (laughs) Let's make that clear. Justin Fields is more mobile, more athletically talented, and now has more weapons than Mitch ever had. You are not going to be able to put him in a box behind the offensive line and just be like, yep, we're going to beat him by making him throw. You want to watch Justin Fields throw? He'll throw 50 yards downfield and beat your ass. That's what you want. If you're worried and you're going to say, hey, Make him throw the ball to win. He'll he'll throw the ball and he'll win the game. Guaranteed. It's going to happen. In general, if the Bears don't utilize their run game enough, and that includes Justin, but includes their three-headed monster running back, yes, it's going to be more difficult for them to win. It's going to be more difficult if it's all on Justin Fields throwing the football. But you know what? I'm confident enough in his ability and his weaponry around him to win the game if all he has to do is throw. Or if all he has to do is beat Justin Fields, because let's be real here, They're not going to find a way to just keep Justin Fields behind the line being a pocket passer. The Bears tried to do that to him last year, even. Just in general, the Bears tried to do it to themselves, and Justin still ran for 1,100 yards. 
It is not going to work. The Mitch Trubisky strategy is not going to work. And really, it doesn't even apply to Justin Fields. Because Justin Fields, as far as athletically speaking, and as far as run abilities go, he's on a whole different level. The only comparison is Lamar Jackson. Because that's the only other quarterback who's thrown for 3,000, 4,000 yards and who's rushed for 1,000. And Fields hasn't thrown for that many, but he's rushed for that many. Historically speaking, statistically, the only quarterbacks who even compare to Fields are Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson. That's it. I mean, that's statistically speaking the truth. So you cannot sit here and tell me, yeah, the Mitch Trubisky strategy is going to work. All we got to do is confine him. You will never confine him. That's the point. And if you try to confine him, he's going to beat you anyway. If somehow you succeed for a couple of plays or a series or a quarter in confining him, he's still going to throw the ball downfield, and he's going to beat your ass. He's got D.J. Moore, Chase Claypool, and Darnell Mooney at his disposal, minimum, not to mention the running backs with him. Not to mention Cole Komet, if you're into him. I'm not, but some people are. The point is, he has weapons. This is a stupid and dumb strategy that's going to bite the Packers in the butt if they actually think they're going to pursue it and use it to win. Go ahead, make Justin Fields play quarterback and see what happens. And I know he's not perfect. I know he has a lot to work on. I'm not sitting here being a fanboy and shilling for Justin Fields. What I'm saying is this. Justin Fields is not Mitch Trubisky, and Mitch Trubisky is not Justin Fields. Dubbing that strategy the Mitch Trubisky strategy and applying it to Fields just won't work. I mean, logically speaking, it will not work. You're going to try and define a strategy by a quarterback who at his best ran for 400 yards in a season and apply it to Justin Fields who literally set records last year. I mean, are you kidding me? It's not going to work. It even says in this article here, Justin Fields isn't stupid. He knows exactly what the Packers will do. Everyone knows how dangerous he is as a runner. That's why he's worked for months on improving his footwork and processing speed from the pocket. So the Packers defense is going to be testing Fields. Fields has done a better job of getting the ball out of his hands, too. So, yeah, I mean, if they think that they're going to pressure him and and scare him and kind of discombobulate him and force him to get sacked too often or throw the ball away or or make mistakes in the air, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be as bad as they envision it being. And you can't just have this one-size-fits-all strategy because it doesn't work. You can't apply this strategy, the Mitch Trubisky strategy, to any superstar quarterback. can't apply it to, like, Joe Burrow or, you know, I mean— There are quarterbacks out there who are going to overcome this. There are some, I would say probably 15 to 20 quarterbacks, where if you make them play quarterback, yeah, they're going to do well because they're professionals. This strategy is dumb. And if the Packers think they're going to beat the Bears on Sunday because of this strategy alone and their way that they're going to contain Justin Fields, sorry to say it's not going to work. Not going to work. I know Justin Fields statistically and historically is 0-4 against Green Bay. And it's going to be difficult. And I'm not saying that, oh, yeah, Justin Fields is everything going for him. 
Yeah, no, it's going to be a tough situation. It's a rivalry game. It's week one, year two of a brand new system, brand new offense. Beat up offensive line, not going to be easy. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to put this all on Justin Fields if they lose, too. But there is no way, no way Justin Fields ends this game with 100 passing yards, two picks, one touchdown, and zero rushing yards. No way that's going to happen. The Bears are not going to lose this game 10-3 to like they did to Mitch Trubisky in 2019. It's not going to happen. Having those expectations is only going to set you up for not meeting them. And it's going to set you up for feeling down on yourselves for not doing what you did a couple of years ago. And in case you didn't notice, Green Bay, this is a way different Bears team with more money invested in it, a brand new quarterback, and a lot to look forward to in 2023. The old, outdated strategies that apply to a different quarterback who rushed for 400 yards in his life is not going to work. So I had to make this video to dispel the narrative, because that's what we do on this channel, because it doesn't make any sense to even suggest it. It does not make any sense to even bring it up or put it in the context of Justin Fields. That's why I opened up this video. I said, we got to make sure we know this. Justin Fields is not Mitch Trubisky, and Mitch Trubisky is not Justin Fields. That's okay. That's okay to say. But the idea that this strategy is going to work, they, they've cracked the code, they're going to beat Justin Fields doing this, it's kind of dumb. This isn't cracking any code. It's actually being lazy, going back to your old playbook and applying this playbook to a different quarterback, unbelievably so. Somebody who is way different than Mitch. Way different. Good and bad. But different. Athletically speaking, better. Now, good luck trying to contain Justin Fields and keeping him in a box inside the pocket and forcing him to throw. Because if we force him to throw, he could throw, and now he has weapons to prove it. And if, and if he gets loose at all, he's going to run the football like crazy and gain 10 yards per carry. So no matter what, you're kind of screwed. And if the Packers really think they're going to employ this strategy to win on Sunday, I think they're going to be in for a much different game than they expect. Well, believe it or not, the Cubs are on a roll. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John's Glue. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Cubs and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Link is in the description of this video. I wish I could have told you I saw it coming, but I really didn't. And as we sit here today, the Cubs are firmly in position. In the NL wild card, they are most likely going to make the playoffs, and they're still in contention for the NL Central Division. How did we get here, and what the hell's going on in a good way? I'll tell you, they are just the polar opposite of the White Sox, and they're doing everything right. And it's fun to talk about positivity for the Cubs again. I have to say, and preface all this by saying, a lot of you didn't believe this would happen. A lot of you thought at the beginning of the season that Jed Hoyer should be fired. Jed Hoyer should be fired for constructing this roster the way it is. This roster's not good enough. The players, where they're playing, it's not working. Jed Hoyer has to go. Not David Ross, Jed Hoyer. I found it interesting that we sit here today and there's no credit for Jed, or not enough credit. There are talks, according to some articles here, about extending David Ross, who's actually made some blunders in managing this team, picking matchups, putting guys in at certain times in the game. 
So there's talks about extending him, but there's no or little to no credit offered up to Jen Hoyer, who signed Cody Bellinger to a one-year $18 million deal, which turned out to be a bargain, who brought in and spent money on Dansby Swanson, who helped develop Justin Steele, who has Nico Horner leading the team in war at 4.7, who believed in Ian Happ enough to keep him around despite his early year struggles. I have to say, I am thoroughly impressed with this roster as a whole, and all the credit, in my opinion, goes to Jen Hoyer more than anything. Cubs starting lineup is productive as far as hitting the baseball. Christopher Morrell is 20 home runs in 89 games. Seiya Suzuki is back at it. Cody Bellinger, if it wasn't for the number of his injuries, could have been an MVP candidate if he played some more games. And Ian Happ's having a nice year, too. Dansby Swanson's a little bit under in terms of OPS+, plus, but he has 19 home runs. Nico Horner's doing his thing, leads the team in hits by a wide margin. And on the mound, Justin Steele is an NL Cy Young Award candidate. And even in the bullpen, Albert Azaldi has turned into a legitimate closer after he was deemed a bust. Javier Sad's come up, early bullpen piece, now turned into a starting pitcher. He's killing it. Kyle Hendricks is actually back to where he kind of was, which I am happy and impressed about because he was going downhill the past couple of years, but he's back. He could perform. The Cubs are unbelievably impressive. Keep in mind, there were 10 games under 500 at one point this year. They were near last place at one point this year. And now today they are fighting for the division lead and they have a wild card spot. This is a group of guys who were expected to do nothing. Nothing. They were not expected to put all this together. They were not expected to come together as a team and succeed as much as they are today. And look at some of these players, too. You, you wouldn't think Javier Assad would be on this team doing what he's doing. Who the hell is Javier Assad, right? Probably what you would have said six months ago. Adbert Azalai was legitimately a bust, and now he's turned into their closer. And Justin Steele. We have a case to make for Steele for the NL Cy Young Award. It's a serious case to be made. I don't know if he's going to win, but I, I want to take a couple of minutes and explain why he should win the award. The top three right now in, in the running in consideration, Justin Steele, Blake Snell, and Spencer Strider from the Braves. Now, Strider is an unbelievable talent. I love watching him pitch, and I love looking at his numbers even. I mean, my goodness, 257 strikeouts and 157 innings. That's unbelievable. Problem is, his ERA is way too high, and he's had so many blow-ups this year because he throws so hard but throws it right down the middle, and he gets killed. Blake Snell is the favorite right now. He has more strikeouts than Steele, but virtually every other category is pretty much even. Steele's a better record if you care about that. I do. Nobody else does anymore. And then Justin Steele is 16 and 3, a 255 ERA, and has 153 strikeouts and 152 innings, and he has an ERA plus of 177. Let me be absolutely clear in my position. Justin Steele has been the most valuable pitcher to his individual team in the entirety of baseball. You cannot name me another pitcher who's been more valuable to his team. Padres are the most disappointing team of 2023. That's Blake Snell's team. 
Garrett Cole's been the only good pitcher for the Yankees, and yet there could be firings at the end of the year over there, and they are in last place in the AL East. Justin Steele's performance has led as directly correlated to his team's success. Spencer Strider's a great pitcher, but guess what? The Braves are unbelievably stacked. If Strider wasn't there, this Braves team would still be in the playoffs. When we talk about how valuable you are to your individual team, when we talk about putting a team on your back, on your shoulders, and just pushing them and willing them to a playoff spot, willing them to success, look no further than Justin Steele. And that's why I think there's a case to be made for Cy Young. He may not have the strikeouts that Blake Snell does, but he has the record. He has the ERA. He matches up in innings. And the most important thing to me, he's shown everybody across baseball, he's one of the main, if not the reason, why the Cubs are where they are right now. I know everybody's playing well. I know there are a lot of exciting pieces, smaller pieces on this team, but Justin Steele's legitimately a superstar. His ERA plus of 177 means he's 77% better than league average. 177 for a starting pitcher is literally unbelievable. I mean, that's top notch. Garrett Cole right now is probably going to win the Cy Young in the American Leagues at 145, 146. That's still great, but 177 is on a whole new level. I'm not going to be mad if Steele doesn't win it, but I hope voters who are watching this program maybe and see this clip out on Twitter or on Facebook understand the contributions that Steele has made individually to his team's success. There is not one pitcher in baseball who's meant more to his team than Justin Steele has. Not one. You can't name me anybody. Bryce Elder is doing great for the Braves. He was a Cy Young favorite early on. The Padres suck. The Padres are the biggest disappointment in baseball. They've spent so much money, and they still suck. Blake Snell's done great, but who really cares? The team's out of it. Garrett Cole, great pitcher, great year, going to win the AL Cy Young. His team's in last place. This Cubs team is being willed forward by many individual contributions, but mainly, and I can say this mainly, by Justin Steele's performances, by what he's done every fifth day. He deserves the Cy Young Award. And I'm here to say it now. There is no doubt in my mind. And I hope that voters see it. I have a sick feeling they won't because they always make dumb decisions. <laughs> they always make choices that I highly disagree with. By the way, these are the same people who are voting for the Hall of Fame, so go figure there. So they're probably going to miss this one and you know make a dumb move and a dumb call. But I'm telling you right now, Justin Seal should win the Cy Young Award. And he should be there. There is nobody who's meant more individually. And I know this isn't the most valuable player for a specific team award. It's the MVP or, you know, the Cy Young Award, the MVP for pitchers, if you will. But you got to be kidding me here. And some of those old school voters, to their credit, are still in the record a bit. And I care about record. Yes, I do. I'm proud to say it because you know what? Somebody who goes 10 and 11 or, you know, 10 and 15, I really don't understand why you should be near that Cy Young totem pole. I was mad a year, a couple of years ago when Jacob DeGrom went 10-9 and nine and won it. I mean, that, you know, I know his ERA was so low, but how do you go 10-9? and nine? How is that possible? Oh, the Mets were so bad. Well, it, that hasn't even happened to other pitchers in the past. 
Something was really wrong that season. Steele is 16-3, co-leader in baseball and wins. He might win 20 games when it's all said and done. Probably get up to 175, 180 innings, which nowadays is the new 200, which I think is a joke, but that's besides the point. Great ERA. Strikeouts are there. All the numbers are there, except he has like 30 less strikeouts than Snell. But here's the real question, and here's how voters are going to decide this. What means more to them? 30 more strikeouts or his team making the playoffs mainly because of his efforts? I think making the playoffs on a team that was 10 games under and now is 10 to 15 games over, I think that means a lot more than, oh, yeah, he had 30 less strikeouts than Blake Snell. And his team is sitting at home in October and still might become a free agent anyway. Steele's going to be here for a while. Oh, voters take all that into consideration. As far as the Cubs as a team go, I'll go off my Justin Steele rant. They've done great. They deserve all of the accolades. And here's the best part. This was not expected. This is like, to an extent, 2015, although that team was even more dominant. They won 97 games. The point is, though, this was not expected. Imagine next year when all these guys are meshed and have come together and are ready for more. Realistically speaking, this team could win the World Series next year. They can. I don't know how they're going to beat the Orioles or the Braves, but they can. There's no reason why they can't, knowing that this year was more of a foundational and a groundwork and a developmental year. It wasn't a rebuild year. It was developmental. Hey, we learned how to play together as a team. We learned how to win baseball games. We learned how to make the playoffs. We learned what the playoffs were like. And now we know what to do next year. We know how good we could be, how far we could go, the experience in the postseason. This is what the White Sox were supposed to be. 93 games, they won under Tony La Russa, 2021. They get bounced from the playoffs. Okay, let's regroup and go into 2022 and win this division again, and then all of a sudden, look where they are now. I don't think the Cubs are going to do that. I think next year should be a World Series or bust mentality. I think that's a realistic expectation for this team. Then imagine if they actually spend more money. They Maybe maybe they retain Bellinger. Maybe they don't. Maybe they bring in some other pieces. Nico Horner is going to be under team control for a while. Swanson's going to be here for a while. Seiya, Suzuki is going to be here for a while. Steele's going to be here for a while. Alizale will be too. A lot of these guys are still relatively young. There's time. I'm just thoroughly impressed with this roster construction down to the T. I mean, I mean, look at some of these guys who you didn't expect anything out of. Julian Merriweather has come around. Mark Leiter Jr. has come around. I mean, we're talking about small, small pieces who have even recently turned things around. Daniel Palencia, now is a 357 ERA. He's 5-0. Thompson and Wesneski's ERAs have gone down significantly. And hitting the baseball, Heimer Candelario's come in, still hit 255. His OPS plus is still at 114 with the Cubs. Patrick Wisdom is 21 homers. Mike Talkman has been a revelation for this team. So many small guys, so many guys who you wouldn't really expect to hear from. Not really big names. Some of them really had a make-or-break year, like Alzale, for example, who've come in and have just unbelievably performed. 
So it's going to be hard to expect all of this next year again. It's going to be hard to say, okay, all you guys are kind of journeymen, do it again. But it's possible. And if the Cubs actually spend more money this offseason and bring in more bona fide names and big-time players, help bolster their starting rotation, bolster up the bullpen a bit, bring in another big batter too, this team's going to be World Series or bust 2024. I love the direction they're going in. We're going to be covering them throughout this playoff chase and eventually playoff series that they're going to be a part of. And I'll end on this. Justin Steele should be the NL Cy Young Award winner. Case closed. No doubt about it. And if he doesn't win it, we will have a rant because, again, the baseball writers sometimes are idiots. Thanks for watching today's show here at Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago sports and Chicago Cubs content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Link in the description. And a big thank you to our guy, John Meadows, directing and producing, making sure everything goes well behind the scenes. So long, everyone.